Hello, and welcome to episode 108 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. How is it February? A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? And how is it February? I don't know. 31 days hath January. (laughs) I don't know. I thought January was just a spectacular month. I had such a great start to this year. No complaints. How about about you? Yeah, good stuff. And then I'm traveling tomorrow. We get to go see boy one (laughs) at college. (laughs) It's uh, sailing parents weekend. So we're very excited. And it was supposed to be raining all weekend there. And now it looks like it's not. So very exciting. That's very fun. And that is why we are recording today, which is not our usual day. But uh, yeah. We're flexible. We are. And uh, thank you all for (laughs) putting up with me last week. And I hope that you finally got the correct episode download into your ears and not the the oops. For people who didn't even notice, you got the correct one. For those of you who got the episode that maybe started off a little rough around the edges. That was because we accidentally uploaded the unedited version, which is delightful in its own special way, (laughs) but a little boring as well. There are reasons I do some editing before I send it up. Anyway, hopefully this will be no harm, a delightful and event free episode although full of lots of interesting chat in all of our regular sections on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. Away we go. On the needles. Hilarious knitting adventures, I would say. So (laughs) I had finished up a whole bunch of things last time and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I think I had mentioned that I thought I might do some charity knitting. Charity knitting was one of my goals for the year. And then I have been participating in the Down Cellar Studio Pigskin Party Knit Along, which lasts the length of the NFL season. We won't talk about the 49ers ending. You don't actually have to like football. You just have to like the fiber arts. And you get to knit whatever you want. And you get points. And at the end, there's prizes. So it's very fun. It's arguably more satisfying than football. (laughs) Yes, very true. Every month, there's usually a bonus mini knit along for fabulous, I want to say cash and prizes. There's no cash. It's just prizes. (laughs) So for January and into February, the bonus knit along is to knit garments and donate them somewhere. So it just kind of aligned perfectly with what I wanted to be accomplishing and, you know, bonus points. Um, So very exciting. So I thought, okay, so I'll just... I'll knit a couple of hats. I've got all this leftover yarn from Boy One's blanket. So it's all machine washable. It's worsted weight. So things would, the knitting would go pretty quickly. It just seemed perfect. And basically what I've done for the past two weeks is just knit hats. (laughs) I have a whole bunch of finished objects. I had forgotten how very satisfying a hat is to knit, especially when it goes quickly. I mean, two days max of like not even very intense knitting. So it's been pretty delightful. Although actually I found some yarn. I think I must have picked it up at the D-Stash table at my knitting retreat last year because otherwise I have no idea why I would have purchased this. It's a 
gradient yarn, loops and threads charisma, and the colorway is mulberry. So it's mostly a deep purpley color and then goes into like a magenta and then some greens and blues and then goes back into the mulberry. So I thought this would make kind of a fun cowl and I had two skeins of it. So originally I thought I was going to do a giant big fluffy cowl, but it's pretty big yarn. I think maybe it's bulky weight. So it would have made a really, really giant cowl. So instead I made two kind of medium sized cowls. Both of them ended up being long enough to, to double loop. I used the diagonal striped garter stitch loop pattern from Church Mouse Yarns. It looks really cool. It ends up with your stripes being on diagonal. And then it's got the nice gradient and you're doing it on super big needle needles. So very easy, very fast. I and mean, I got two of those done. And then hats. I did so many hats. I did the February hat by Kate Gagnon Osborne in my Knit Picks Bravo Worsted in Current, which is the maroon color. It's got a ribbed brim and then eight row sections and each one is a different textured stitch. So mm. again, easy, fun, kept your interest and ended up a little bit slouchy, which is kind of nice. Or if someone just has a lot of thick hair, then that'll work well for them also. And then I switched to Brimish by Sarah Shira, also in the Knit Picks Bravo Worsted, but in Brindle, which is a brownish color, which I had ordered... There were two additional skeins that I had ordered because I for my contrast color because I, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell what the color is going to be when it's online. And this was not what I ended up wanting. So I did not use it. So I had an entire skein of this sitting around. So I thought mm, hat because some 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 people like brown hats. Not everyone wants, you know, a brightly colored. Thing I like on brown. Top of their... Yeah. So Brimish is a fun pattern. It's six different uh, ribbing edges, and then the top is just stockinette. She has a bunch of different sizes. So the one I picked is kind of a, I don't know, it's a knit and pearl combo. I mean, that's what ribbing is. So um, so that was fun and super easy. I mean, you do the, the ribbing on the edge, and then it's just stockinette. So that was, again, super quick. And then I made a bankhead hat by Susie Gourlay. And this was in the Knit Picks Brava again in the colorway Caution, which is somewhere between caution tape yellow and like hunter orange. So this one is very bright as if for the person that does not, you know, maybe like brown, but wants something really, really cheerful. And the bankhead hat I had made before, and it's simple, but looks, you know, just a little bit different. So you do a one by one ribbing and then a much bigger ribbing with a little bit of moss stitch in between. So again, goes really quickly, looks very cool, simple to memorize the pattern and, and get it done. And then a pattern that I had bought previously was updated, and I thought, huh, maybe I should make this one. So Tiny Boats by Elizabeth Doherty. I think she also just released a cowl and mitt set to, or actually two separate patterns that go with it. So she updated the hat pattern at the same time to make all the, the layouts match and whatnot. I don't know that the pattern itself was updated, but the schematics were anyway. So this is a two-color hat. Um, I did it in the, the Nipix Bravo Worsted in Current and Dove Heather, so the, the maroon and the gray. And it's got a little tiny bit of ribbing and then a bunch of slip stitches. So you only work with one color on each row, but you're slipping your stitches. And so when you switch your colors, it looks like you've got two colors on each row and looks very pretty. And it's a very cool pattern. And again, super easy, nothing complicated. And uh, 
yeah, that turned out really well. Also, those are all the ones that I've done for charity. But that is not all the hats that I have done, because track season is starting soon. And Boy 2 is a sprinter, so he has been getting ready for the preseason. It occurred to me that the early season track meets at Kizar Stadium in San Francisco are very, very cold. It's there at night. It's been chilly here. It has been chilly, first of all, yeah. But even, you know, a month from now when we're actually having track meets, it gets really cold. The The ocean breeze comes whipping down. The stadium is just a funnel for the wind. And it's really cold. I mean, it's less cold if you're trying to warm up and get ready to run, as opposed to those of us that are just sitting there watching them run. But still, last year, my kid did not have a warm hat. He had warm, you know, jacket and whatnot, but did not have a warm hat. So I asked him if he would like one for this year. The school store does sell them. And I was like, we could buy you one or, or, you know, I could make you one. He's like, oh, well, whatever, you know, it's fine. I don't know that I necessarily need it, but that would be great. I was like, okay. So as I was finishing these hats, I had put them on the banister to go downstairs so that I could wash them, block them a little bit, make them look you know, a little nicer. So I had put one of them on the banister and then it vanished. And I thought, well, maybe I took it downstairs and it went through the laundry, but I had done all of the laundry and there was no hat in there. And I asked my husband if he had done something with it. He said, no, maybe it fell down the stairs. We looked all around, couldn't find it. So the next morning I asked boy too, I was like, there's no way he would have done anything with this hat. I think it was the brown one. He wouldn't have taken it. I always put stuff for him to take downstairs. It never goes downstairs (laughs) until I specifically say, hey, take this stuff downstairs. So it can't possibly be him. But I figure I'll just ask him. Maybe he saw it. Who knows? He's like, oh, yeah, I took that. I thought it was for me. I've been, you know, you said I needed to be more aware of things and like help out. I was like, child, no, that one was not for you, but I'll make you one. He said, oh, you know, you don't have to do that. And I said, oh, no, obviously, I wouldn't want to knit a hat for someone that I love. He's like, oh, that's true. So I ended up buying some more yarn because I wanted to get the school colors, and I didn't have the, the quite quite the right ones. What are the school colors? Uh, red and white, but okay. like bright. Yeah, cardinal. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, devil red. Oh, well. <laughs> well, cardinals are a different school in the city. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so anyway, so I went on and was looking for appropriate colored yarns. So I ended up purchasing two. First, and the one I ended up using for him is the Plymouth Encore Color Spun Worsted in a red and black. So it's mostly black, but it red and white goes through it. And so I made him a bankhead hat as well. And he seems to be excited about it. He likes it. He tried it on at fit. He was like, okay. I don't know if he is like, he's as thrilled about it as I am, but he did seem pleased and not against wearing it. So it will be there if he needs it. And I actually have a possibly have enough left over to make another one for the husband. Cause I don't know if he has a good sitting and watching track meet hat yet either. And then the other one that I got is the Cascade Big Wheel in Columbus. And it's a very weird color. So it's definitely bright red, a lot of white, and then a lot of what I thought was gray. But if you look at it in the bright sunshine is green. Huh. Which for Columbus makes sense because Italy is what I'm thinking. Or I don't know. So it's very strange. I'm thinking maybe in the dark it will look more gray. We'll see. Otherwise, it'll just end up being a Christmas hat for me. But I'm doing the classic cabled hat. Very big yarn. It's going to have big, chunky cables. 
It'll be very nice and, and cozy as the wind is whipping through the stadium. I have 30 seconds more of work on that one, maybe. This is making me think of that children's book, The Guy Who Sells All the Hats. You know, he's got like a big stack of hats. Yes. It's like yeah. you've done a million hats. I and, have done a million and hats. And it hasn't even been two weeks since we last That's true. chatted. Yeah. So. It was fun, though. I mean, they go so quickly and then I don't, they're just... Yeah, I, I feel guess very so. accomplished. I mean, I'm still not out of yarn, though, is the thing that oh. is really annoying <laughs> me. But I do the the retreat center that I go to collects knitted garments as well uh, to donate to an organization, I think, here in the city. So I'll probably do a few more. And I mean, I can always send them to there's multiple places that are looking for knitted knitted items. So we'll see because I do. I, I think I might be ready to move on. And it's just easy because there's so many of them and you can just do one and be done and then you can go find another one and do that and be done and it's yeah it's a good way to try different stitches or techniques or use up yarn and and feel pretty low philanthropic about it well that too but also low commitment yeah (laughs) because if you don't like it that much you will be done with it very quickly whereas like a sweater is a whole whole thing it's practically a marriage it's true it's true i will be yeah, I will be moving on to a sweater. I think I have it picked out. Courtney and I have been discussing colors. So you'll hear about that next time. We shall see. And then I'll have, i got to figure out what travel project I'm bringing. Oh, I Big don't know. decisions. I hate packing so much. I will probably spend a lot of time looking at yarn instead. How about you? What is on the easel? Oh, my goodness. I'm really happy to continue my following my curiosity about Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> So I had done a sketch of Jacques Cousteau in an effort to get my, I wanted to work on a portrait a month this year. That was one of my ideas. And I did the sketch and I thought, okay, I'm done with Jacques Cousteau. And then I was talking with my accountability partner who is like, you know, when you paint at home all day and you don't have anybody to show your work to at the end of the workday, it's sort of lonely. So I have Daria up in Seattle and she and I chat weekly and we, we've we been sort of getting our 2023 art ideas, goals, whatever you want to call it, off the ground. Of course, I wasn't quite ready to talk about that at the beginning of the year, but as January has progressed and I've been feeling things out a little bit more, the portraits are still kind of important. I had the idea the other day that perhaps I should try it in oil, try an oil sketch. So I did an oil sketch of a bird and I loved it. And it was just really, it's always good to go and try something not, not new, but new ish. It's just keeping the art practice fresh. So yesterday on the very last day of January, I realized that I didn't totally love the pencil sketch that I did of Jacques Cousteau. And so I tried painting him in oil (laughs) and it is so much more satisfying because it blends. It blends differently than gouache does. So I'm happy to report that I have checked that box in my goals and ideas for the year, at least for January. Now I'm really excited to think about who else I want to paint. And that is a great feeling, as always. I'm still also working on that Florilegium project where I'm drawing, painting people's 
favorite things, like in a giant cluster. And those are a little bit slow going because they're so detailed. And of course, I picked one that has a million pieces to it. And I think I will aim for a simpler composition next, but it does have me thinking more deeply about composition and scale. And yeah, it's an interesting little series. And then you're never going to believe this. Anybody out there listening right now is not going to believe this when I say out loud that I'm going to try and figure out my calendar in February. Ooh. So you weren't even thinking you would do a calendar. Nope, I wasn't. Except, you know what happened in January? I saw a lot of people that I hadn't seen for a long, long time. It was a very social month, which is delightful and sort of draining for an introvert like me, but also delightful because I hadn't seen a lot of people. And most of these people had received a calendar as a Christmas card or had ordered one. And they were so wonderful about the calendar. And it surprised me because I I really built a calendar that interested me. I wasn't so much thinking about the audience. I was painting for the... Remember, I kept saying, I don't know if this... Maybe it's just seven paintings. Maybe it's just nine. And then when I looked at it and I had 13. <laughs> so part of the the biggest hurdle with doing a calendar is the timing. And for me, I am not good about giving myself enough of a lead time. Mm. And because I'm coming off of such great in-person response to the calendar, I thought, what if I just do it now and paint what I want to paint and see what see what comes of it? So I have a week to generate ideas and sketches and feel this out. And then I'm going to try to make the calendar happen in the beginning part of this year. I can't promise that it'll be done by the end of February. Even if I got well underway, that would be a huge success, I guess. Yeah. Or if you decide, okay, it's not going to work, then you have plenty of time to either come up with another idea or just decide you're not doing it. Right. And not feel like you've promised something and you have to rush to get it done. And I think the other tact, the other approach that I took with the birds and breakables was that I was just painting what I wanted to paint. I wasn't thinking, oh, this would make a good image for January. I wasn't trying to paint a seasonal or month-driven calendar. I was painting a series of images that I really wanted to paint, and that approach was successful. Yeah, I'm going to kind of play that same game in February and see where it leads. That sounds fun. Thank you. We'll see. I will report back. Okay. But I'm still, you know, making fancy pants and thinking about what I'm going to What else I'm going to do in February along with all the painting? Very, very happy right now, though, with the painting. Cool. So on the table, I have come up with a new goal. (gasps) Hooray! Is it stop apologizing for vegetarian recipes? I love it! (laughs) I have decided there are a lot of you out there that are probably eating vegetarian or trying to or just want to eat more vegetables. And even if they're aren't this is how my family eats and this is what i'm going to talk about so 
I think what's always been an interesting balance about the podcast, though, is that you do offer, like, like you're offering up how your family eats mm-hmm. for our audience, and I'm offering, I mean, I know I have apologized for the beef, lamb, <laughs> chicken, heavy recipes that are in my testosterone-driven household, but I love that. We... Yeah, it works for our family. We we don't have to make any consolation for it. I think because I was so conflicted about what I was cooking. I'm trying to get over that. Anyway, all that to say, I went on like a vegan kick this past two weeks. I had lots of good produce and I was having a hard time finding, figuring out what I wanted to do with it. And Stephanie Pearl McPhee, the yarn harlot, was still posting her veganuary recipes. And so I thought, well, why don't I check out some of these web- websites? Because I, I pulled a couple of her recipes and they looked good. Let me see what else these people have to offer. Vegan is not gluten-free, so there's still often that challenge challenge that has to be figured out. So I did find some some good recipes, easy stuff. And I found two, I came up with I came up with, <laughs> I found two really amazing winter salads that I thought would also be really good for you and your temple lunches. And I think I sent you some of them. So anyways, the first one is not a salad, but was super simple. A vegan, how I cannot actually speak Italian. Cacio e pepe. There we go. Polenta with spicy tofu. And this is from Rabbit and Wolves, which is one of the websites that the Yarn Harlot uses. So it is a vegan website. And this one I just... I liked the polenta idea and the spicy tofu was interesting. And that one, my husband loved, super excited. He really liked the tofu. I have done baked tofu, but I usually just throw it in some soy sauce and cornstarch and that just gives it a little bit of flavor. This, you spice it up. I cannot remember what spices, but I mean, probably garlic powder and paprika, smoked paprika things like that. And it was super delicious. And you bake it again. So that, you know, is makes it a little easier. And then in the f- photo on the website, she roasts Brussels sprouts with it as well. And you run the Brussels sprouts through the same bowl that the tofu was in. So it gets a little bit of the spices. And I think I threw uh, so a I used broccoli for mine because I didn't have Brussels sprouts. And broccoli is delicious when it is roasted as well. Yeah. And then you just put a ton of butter. Well, okay. So it should be vegan butter and vegan Parmesan. I used regular butter, regular Parmesan, ton of pepper in your polenta. And it was super delicious. Yum. I found the tofu polenta combo a little odd, but it worked. And then obviously you could, you know, do chicken instead or sausage would probably be really great with that. For sure. My favorites. (laughs) I do still miss still miss these things yeah so that one was was quite tasty and i think the spicy hit the right notes for boy too he has nothing against tofu i think but he does like the spicy stuff so that was that was a good one and yeah as i said husband really liked the tofu part of it and then the two salads the first was the warm cauliflower salad with mushroom vinaigrette from the wimpy vegetarian she had made this a couple years ago and she has a newsletter that goes out like a vegetarian menu plan for the week recipes she's run through and just to help people with their menu planning if that is their thing and so this was on here i had cauliflower hanging out so the fun part of this is you roast the cauliflower you also roast mushrooms and tomatoes and then throw it in with some fresh spinach at the end 
And then the key part is you roast additional mushrooms to make the mushroom vinaigrette. And she used oyster mushrooms. And you throw in some mushroom powder. So if you're oh, wondering yeah. what to do with that umami powder from Trader Joe's that you bought, wondering, this is what you want to do with wondering, it. Well, it's like air. <laughs> you can put it on everything. Well, this is true. It can give you something else. And you use a bunch of it. So it was really good. And she called for oyster mushrooms, which made, I mean, I think you could use any kind of mushroom, really. But the oyster mushrooms made a little interesting. And the family was intrigued by, by the, the different kind of mushroom. It, I don't know. It was, it was just delicious. All, you know, the tomatoes are not fantastic right now. So roasting them just gives them that extra flavor. Got the mushrooms. And the colors were just fantastic. The vinaigrette was delicious. We put it on all sorts of things later in the week. I also made lentils for the husband and something else, probably chicken for the boy and I to throw in there as well or have on the side, which you didn't really need. Honestly, it could have been complete on its own. I think in her instructions, she said you could add quinoa or tofu to make it more complete. I had quinoa planned for something else later in the week, so I went with lentils instead. So yeah, that one was really great. It would make a delicious lunch. It was good. Leftover the next day. And, you know, obviously you could switch up the vegetables, although I think it was pretty perfect the way it was. And then the final one is the winter happiness salad, which is one that the Yarn Harlot featured on her Instagram feed. And this one is from Feasting at Home. This is the one that had quinoa, but also had kale and an apple, green onions, chickpeas, dried currants, but I subbed in dried cranberries because that's what I had. And I mean, that's just a classic combination with kale. And then you toast up some fennel and coriander seeds and dump that all in the salad. Apparently they're good for various health things. I just thought they made things taste really tasty. And then you make a nice vinaigrette and it was all just really good. And I think I had some leftover chicken. So I gave that to the to the boy so he could feel like he was getting more protein. Although, I mean, there was plenty of protein things going on in there anyway with the chickpeas and the kale and so in the quinoa. That Delicious. Was that really good as great. well. Yeah. This reminds me that it's a good time to do some like lightly pickled fennel because it's oh, yeah. around. Yeah. So it's it's been good. And <laughs> now I'm going traveling and I get to eat out for four days. <laughs> That's great. Very excited. That's always a good reward. Yep. Okay. Well, I I did do one recipe from your Cook 90 that you lent me that was for a temple lunch, and it was the sardine sandwich with cornichons and lemon zest. Oh. Yum. I have not made that one. It's delicious, and I used my husband's sardines because... As I have maybe mentioned once or twice, I have the virtuous sardines, which are packed in water and skinless and boneless, and they're kind of dry, if I'm being honest. They need a giant splash tsunami of salad dressing. His sardines are bathing in olive oil, and they have their skin on and the bone in. And I thought that that would freak me out, but it turns out that they're delicious. <laughs> and I do take the little backbone out. And it is kind of like you can use mayonnaise or mustard or vegan mayonnaise, whatever, for your sandwich slather. 
and lots of lemon zest, which is a great bedding for the sardines. I think there was an alternative to the cornichons, but that's what I had. And so I used cornichons, which the jar has been unopened in my fridge for I don't know how long. And boy, is that fun. I don't know. It just seemed really fun. It has like a little basket that you can pull out these teeny tiny little pickles. fancy. So fancy. And that was one of my temple lunches. And because I had egg salad left over from the other temple lunch, I put cornichons on the egg salad sandwich Mm. the next day. So good. I'm really, I'm really taking care of myself at lunch. That's good. Then my only other sort of new recipe is a Dijon chicken that I I had like slow poached some chicken breast to do in a rice bowl and they were really bland. And so I made a shallot Dijon cream sauce, mostly with chicken stock and then just a little splash of cream to kind of bind it all together. Oh my gosh, carried the whole dish, was delicious. I ended up making a double batch because it was so good you wanted it on everything. And so that was my other little win for the for the past week and a half. But I have a great story. Okay. I went mushroom forage. Oh, yes, you did. And so people who might have peeked at the Instagram stories, I did show a couple of the mushrooms that... I collected in the woods off the coast of Sonoma, or well, yeah, Jenner area. It was, I don't know, it was in the middle of the woods. I went with friends. My husband went to the wrestling match, so he wasn't able to go with me. And so it was me and some friends, and we're in the woods, and we had a guide, and the guide gave minimal, underlined, minimal instructions about any of this, which seemed like kind of nerve wracking. So he told us to go off and pick what we could and bring it back. And then he would inspect everything that we had collected. There's so many things that I want to tell people about this experience. First of all, it felt really weird to go off trail into the woods. It felt like being a kid, you know, where you could run around in the woods and sticks are breaking underneath of you. And you've got to like duck under branches and crawl around on the forest floor and pick things. It seems verboten as an adult, but it was really delightful. I had twigs in my hair. My (laughs) knees were dirty. I had the most monstrous basket full of mushrooms. Wow. We didn't think we'd be able to collect that much. It's more like uh, chanterelle and candy cap season. It isn't like porcini season or morel season right now. And we also kept finding these gigantic white and red mushrooms. And we have the Amanita muscaria ones, the fly agarvic that grow underneath of our tree and they're psychotropic. So I thought that maybe they were young muscarias and maybe they, they were psychotropic, but we picked a whole bunch of them anyway. And we take them and lay them all out. And the naturalist, his advice was you can taste any mushroom. You just can't swallow them all. Which is a fair point. So this, the pink and white ones were really rucellas. And there's like 80 different kind of rucella mushroom. And they, for many years, he was just avoiding them and tossing them out because they're completely acrid. And I can say that with expert experience because I tasted this thing. Uh. And it is like, like the second it hits your tongue is like all of the heat and pepperiness of like horseradish and Mm. not really the flavor. (laughs) It it was terrible. 
But apparently he learned from a tour group that Eastern Europeans pick these mushrooms and stew them because once they hit a certain temperature, they totally mellow out and have a different flavor. Hmm. And so he recommended picking them and trying them stewed because it's a whole different uh, flavor profile. I sure hope so. So we picked all day and we had a lot of the Rucellas. We had a lot of candy cap. We had some yellow yellowfoot chanterelles and some chanterelle mushrooms. And then we found a teeny little cluster of black trumpet mushrooms, which was like finding gold, basically. So we, we find all of these great mushrooms. And then at the very end, when we're trying to make our way out of the forest, we were in this really thick pocket. And all of a sudden, we noticed that nobody has been picking there. So it was sort of this untouched pocket that people hadn't found or picked from. And there were mushrooms everywhere. And it was like a mushroom forest wonderland. And it was this really incredible feeling. This is what the forest looks like when we don't tromp through it and pick all the mushrooms. Well, it was a mushroom picking group, so it was to be expected. But it was super exciting and it felt like forest bathing and (laughs) wild west kind of... I don't know. Getting your nature on. It was. It was so joyful. And I drove home with a huge smile on my face and we had great weather. I think my only disappointment about it was I didn't feel like I could go home and fry up all of these mushrooms. Each one needed a different kind of treatment. And he did the other thing, helpful thing that he, that the guide did warn us about was you may be fine with wild chanterelle mushrooms for 20 years and then suddenly you're not fine with them anymore. Mushrooms are kind of interesting and so you just need to be mindful of your own tolerances and like somebody in your house might like the yellow foot mushrooms and somebody else, it might not agree with them at all. It just seemed like a lot more work than I thought it was going to be to taste test these mushrooms every single time you go. So I have a whole new appreciation for wild foraged mushrooms. This episode is clearly the one about fungi. (laughs) We're fungi heavy today. But it was super interesting and just a totally great experience. And then my husband went to Costco and he came home with a big bucket of dried porcini mushrooms. (laughs) He went foraging. He went foraging. And that is delightful. I loved it, though. And I had so much fun drawing the specimens that I brought home. There was one like a hen of the woods, which was this crazy mushroom. And you're supposed to slice down the middle and count the bugs and that will determine your is it good enough to eat kind of thing. So there was a little bit of an ick factor with some of this. All to say it was a super experience and and I feel slightly more qualified to forage in the wild for mushrooms now. Cool. (laughs) This doesn't look like something you're going to go do next Saturday. (laughs) Well, no, because I'll be out of town. But no, that would be cool. Really? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, my my produce box, because it's organic, there is... A little Occasionally a little... Yeah. Yeah. Like washing the lettuce and whatnot, you have to... It definitely takes a little bit longer than store-bought lettuce, for for example. Yeah. So... I think I... I have a certain tolerance for it, but... Yeah. yeah. On the whole, I was... Even in the really picked-over sections of the forest that we were in, I was 
delighted with how much you could actually find. And I'd be very interested to go for fiddleheads because mm-hmm. that's something we grew up with forging for. So yeah, it was fun. I'd love to get some porcinis. Yes. So I'll pay attention yeah. to that season next time. All right. Okay, stay tuned. On the nightstand, random all over the place books this this time. But we start off with A World of Curiosities by Louise Penny. That's right. <gasps> Inspector Gamache is back. Number 18. It wow. actually I know. It actually came out in November, but it just took me this long to get it from the library. I have read it now. We are back in Three Pines. The band, the band, the group is all back together. All the regular cast of characters, plus a few new people. They find a bricked up room that has been hidden for about 150 years. And it is filled with stuff, including a giant painting based on a classic, but with some changes. What is going on? It is full of puzzles and messages. And we also get Gamache and Bovar's first case together in flashbacks. So that's super fun. Finally. I know. Yeah. So overall, just a classic Gamache book. The final solution I didn't love, but that is more a personal statement about what I enjoy in the mystery realm and not... A criticism of... The book. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Again, just classic all the all the people that you love and we haven't talked about the tv show at all which um was interesting and i think you would enjoy it more if you had not read all the books or if you have forgotten the first ones and you don't mind the lack of character development in all of the characters i would concur it's very much focused on the mysteries each book is two episodes so it's there's very quickly there are two characters that i love and at least two characters that I'm disappointed with. Fair. <laughs> it's not bad. I, but it, it is worthwhile and it's well done. And it, yeah. it's just a departure from the It books. is a completely different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Then I read Foster by Claire Keegan, who wrote Small Things Like These, which we both really enjoyed. That was long listed for the Booker Prize, I believe. Anyway, they're both very short books. This is... Possibly her first one that she wrote. Again, it's very short, about 100 pages. She wrote it in 2010, and it was just re-released. And so this was one of my books that I got for my Irish book subscription. So I am checking off one of my goals to keep up with these books, although my third one just arrived, so I'm falling behind. But it's only, it's early. It's early days. I'm good. So this is a story of a young girl in Ireland, obviously. Unclear when... She has lots of younger siblings. Her mother's expecting again. So for the summer, they send her off to the coast where her aunt and uncle live. Uh, It's just a very quiet book. And she, you know, is experiencing being an only child for a while. And uh, with this, you know, her aunt and uncle don't have kids. You know, everyone's kind of wondering who she is and what's going on. And uh, it was just really beautiful. And I think if you liked her first book you would like this one as well and i will say that one of the interesting things that i thought about this one is that in a lot of ways it reminded me of crossing to safety in that it's simple domestic not a lot happens but i loved this one did not like crossing to safety as much got my husband to read this he was not into this one at all but really liked crossing to safety so i'm not sure what the difference is exactly but we both definitely 
felt that there was a difference. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a nice one. It's on my. I'm on the wait list for it at the library. Oh, do you want to borrow it? And it's like a mile deep. I think because yeah, I mean, small things like these was such a maybe a big. Let me check and see where I'm at. But yes, I do want to borrow it. And, and you then... can have. I mean, it'll. It as I said, it's just over a hundred pages, so it'll take you just a hot minute to read it. And then I listened to The Mermaid of Black Conch by Monique Rofi. And this was my book choice for the Storygraph Read the World Challenge. So this is uh, the Trinidad and Tobago book. Monique Rofi is from, I think, Tobago. And so this was really nice to listen to because you got that Caribbean accent because the story is written in in that voice voice yeah i think it would be harder to read plenty easy to listen to though so that was good and it had a couple of different readers for the different uh, narrators of the story so that's always nice as well so it's the story of david who is a young fisherman on the island they call the island black conch but it is obviously based on tobago and it's 1976 summer of and he's out fishing and playing his guitar and he sees a mermaid and she keeps coming back. They don't talk or anything, but she just seems to like him playing his guitar. And then there is a big fishing competition. Lots of Americans come and one of the boats captures her because they're out fishing. David rescues her. The plan is to hide her at his house for a few days and then put her back in the water. But she starts changing back into a woman. And they continue their relationship. You eventually find out that she had been a woman about a thousand years ago on an island to the north, so probably Cuba, and she is cursed by the other women in her village and driven into the ocean and has been mermaiding about for the past 1,000 years. (laughs) And there's a hurricane and and lots of drama. Uh, There's love, there's friendship, there's fear, there's colonialism. And the whole thing kind of reads like a fairy tale, I think, especially because she took out the actual name of the island. I think that would have changed the the vibe a little bit. But it was really, it was cool. It was, a, it was you know, it's just a little bit different. And uh, getting a, you know, a, a different country's point of view was, was really interesting. And obviously, I, I like, I like the fantasy aspect of it. That was a fun one. And I, I do want to see, I, I don't know that she normally does mermaids and and whatnot. So I kind of want to check out her other books because the writing was really quite interesting and and well done, I thought. So that was that was fun. And then a little more fantasy, The Oleander Sword by Tasha Suri. This is the second book in a trilogy that is in a Indian based world. So in the first one, there was a princess whose brother had put her in prison and a maid who used to be a temple acolyte rest ends up rescuing her they start a revolution so this is this book is basically the continuation of the revolution the maids country has been freed as part of a deal to then support the princess who's calling herself the empress so we've got lots of battle scenes strange things start happening in the other country there's romance adventure all those good things uh it was it was it was good it was a satisfying second book you know, middle part of a trilogy can often be a little wah, wah. This one was kind of its own story, but also you can totally tell what we're being set up for in book three. And I am looking forward to that as well. And then The Villa by Rachel Hawkins, who wrote The Wife Upstairs, which was the Jane Eyre retelling. So this one 
is based on the house party where Frankenstein was written, although also apparently on Fleetwood Mac and the Manson family. So (laughs) all sorts of things going on in this one. Yeah. So Emily is, uh, she writes cozy mysteries, but she's been having a real difficult past year or so. She got very sick and then her husband left her because she was sick. And so she's been having trouble writing. She hasn't been able to finish her latest book. And so money is running short. Uh, Her childhood best friend shows up. Chess is a influencer and writer as well of self-help books and, you know, kind of going the Gwyneth Paltrow route. And Chess has rented a house, a villa in Italy for six weeks so that she can finish her book. And she invites Emily along to kind of, you know, change of scene, get back into the writing groove. When they arrive, uh, Emily realizes that this is a house where an infamous rock and roll murder took place in the 1970s. So she starts becoming involved in looking it up and researching. And so there were three men and two women And one of the women ended up writing, after this murder, a classic horror novel. And the other woman writes a multi-platinum record album. And everyone there, you know, dies young and it's just very tragic. So she's kind of back and forth. You, You get the two different stories of what's happening in the 70s at the villa and what's happening in the now. Things are mysterious on both ends. Uh, so a little bit of, of uh, you know, thriller, very classic Rachel Hawkins with a little twist, strong female characters, all those good things. A Super good fun. Romp. It's yes. a good romp. Good yeah. romp. And then some more thriller. I listened to The Change by Kirsten Miller, which Courtney read a few months ago now. I loved that book. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's got so much going on. It was like 15 hours of audio. Wow, really? Yeah. I was listening to it on maybe a little bit faster speed, but it was still a lot. I think at its heart, it's kind of a thriller. It takes place on a small island community off of Long Island. Got a bunch of dead girls. So in that sense, it's kind of a classic thriller mystery. What makes it different is the people investigating it are three women friends who are all around 50 and have gone through the change and that has brought them into their powers quite literally. So one of them can see ghosts and they call out to her and that's how they find the girls. The other one has been given great strength and she is the protector. And the other one has kind of become a classic witch and she's got potions and plants and, and powers. And so they are trying to bring down the patriarchy more or less. <laughs> Precisely. So it was a very interesting mix of the thriller book, but then a romp and a, you know, a a chick lit kind of thing. It was very interesting. So I definitely enjoyed it. I went around being super mad all the time, though. So it was, yeah, it was, it was an interesting, interesting book. I, that book still resonates with me. I mean, I'm not sure I agree a, with all of their conclusions about the way to deal with the, the issues sure that not. we face. No, no, but. no, for sure not. But I think it's also like, own your power. <laughs> this is true. Yes. That, that for sure. Very granular. Stand up for yourself or whatever. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was The Change by Kristen Miller. And the audio on that was was quite good. It was just the one, the one reader and she did a really nice job. And then I read, and then a little more, oh fantasy, I guess we'll call it. That sounds so funny when you apply it to a book like this. Um, Hellbent 
by Lee Bardugo. This is the second in the Alex Stern series. Hopefully there'll be another one. It looks like there will be. Uh, the first one was Ninth House, so people might recognize that name. And that was her first, I think, adult book. So this is the second one. They take place uh, at Yale. There are eight... Uh, they're basically like fraternities. I think Yale calls them social houses or dining halls or some floofy English-esque name. And what people, most people don't know is they actually all have magic as well. And there is a ninth house that is tasked with policing them, basically making sure their magic is done appropriately. They don't let outsiders into the no muggles. rituals. No muggles. Yes, exactly. And so Alex grew up in California and she has always been able to see ghosts, but no one believes her. And ghosts are not nice. They're very mean and cranky because <laughs> they're dead and they don't want to be dead. And so she's had a very tough childhood. She found if she did drugs, it kind of muted her response to them. So it's been bad until a dude from Yale shows up and says, we would like you to be our new inductee into this ninth house. You can, you know, use your powers for good, more or less. Obviously, things go very poorly. In the first book, they are trying to clean up the mess and rescue someone in the second book. So they are trying to get into hell. So you've got some more some more characters are brought in, get some more backstories, more adventures. And it leaves it at a point where it could go either way. We could be done or she can go on and write a million more books in this series. I hope I hope she writes at least one more. But it was it was really good. It's. I mean, I guess you can call it a romp. You know, it's not. It's and the other that was the thing I was trying to figure is like because there's there's demons, they're going to hell. There's dead people, but it's not creepy like a horror novel is. I mean, there's plenty of creepy stuff going on, but it's not. I don't know. I never found it scary, so I'm trying maybe to maybe gothic. I don't know. I just I'm trying to figure out what what it is that makes that difference in writing style that makes it. I can't read this before I go to bed. Versus oh, this is mm. fine. So anyway, that's just my my personal mental ramblings. And then my final one, I have like 45 minutes left on listening to this. So I'm going to throw it in because it's really interesting and I don't want to forget about it next time. One Woman's War by Christine Wells is actually about two different women during uh, World War II in London. The first one is based on an actual person who is the inspiration for Miss Moneypenny. So she worked with Ian Fleming in the war office and, you know, gets involved in various spy things. She's involved in Operation Mincemeat, which is just an awful name, but was responsible for the success of the Allied invasion in Sicily. And then the other woman is Austrian, who has been recruited by the Germans to spy for them, um, which she doesn't really want to do, but her mom's still in Germany. So they are threatening her. But her sister is married to the brother of the head of MI6. So she ends up going to England and then she gets recruited by the English. So we're never quite sure which side she's really for. She has a bunch of adventures as well. So it's very exciting. I'm not quite sure how it's going to end, but we shall see. Okay. That's a fun one too. That's a good diverse list. Yeah, it was really all over the place, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. Okay, I have two art books for you and, and a, a few pieces of fiction. The first one is the Drawing Ideas book by Francis Stanfield. And this is a little slim volume that has inspiration or drawing prompts like draw cats or whatever. 
less simplistic than that, but, but then it delves into like what's interesting about cats and what to pay attention to when you're watching the shapes of them and how they come up in other art. And then there'll be medium suggestions like drawing with ink and what tools you might try and different approaches with that. And then technique prompts, which I haven't really gotten so far into yet, but the ones that I saw were different collage challenges. It's a slim book and it has some really cool ideas and I found it kind of useful for the past month for my sketchbook work. Then the other one is called Daily Rituals. The subtitle is Women at Work and it's artists, sculptors, writers, musicians, poets, etc. All creative pursuits. And this is by Mason Curry. And a few years ago, Mason Curry wrote a book I'm going to forget what it's called, but basically Artists at Work. And he featured 161 different creatives and only 27 of them were women. And to his credit, in a way, he looked at that book and realized, oh my gosh, I have less than 17% women in this volume. And so he set out to sort of correct the record with this volume of women creatives. As a woman creative... I appreciate him trying to rebuild the narrative here. I think what was hard for me was that a lot of the women featured don't have husbands or families just by choice or what have you. And then there were several who left their families, left their kids in order to pursue a creative life. And that, while a true reality for a lot of women creatives... It was also really difficult to read, and I don't know why that why I'm struggling with that, but I am. All to say, it's an interesting volume paired with its, you know, earlier mostly male companion volume, and I think it says something about the difficulty of being a female creative even now. And that, I guess, is what makes me sort of <sighs> sigh deeply into the microphone. You need a wife. I do. Okay. More more fun than that are the three books that I read in Ooh. the past two weeks. You've been busy. I have been busy. But boy, I have three gems. Okay. The first one, oh, I can't decide which order. The Cloisters by Katie Hayes. Ooh, I've heard of this. I think. Uh-huh. It's everywhere right now. It's a new release. Our main character is Anne, and Anne lost her father recently, and she can't seem to get into PhD program, and she wants to study Renaissance art kind of thing with a focus in, I don't know that she wants to study tarot card history, but it's definitely a big interest, and sort of translating these things is a passion of hers. Well, she lands a summer internship at what she thinks is the Met in New York City. And when she gets there, they kind of bait and switch and she lands at the Cloisters. Now, I've never been to the Cloisters and it was, so I'm starting this book and I'm like, what is the Cloisters even? And then they're describing this sort of Middle Ages, Renaissance architecture. And I couldn't figure out why this is in Manhattan, you know, time-wise. And so I had to stop what I was doing, do all of this research on the cloisters because my brain would not allow me to continue the narrative. Very interesting. The story is equally fascinating. It's 
considered a, a gothic novel. It's it's got a lot going on. It's very twisty and surprising. Anne befriends this other woman who's in her department, and they have this very weird, very fast friendship. And there's the power dynamics and class divides because Anne comes from a really modest background and her new friend is super wealthy. There's a lot going on and you almost don't know where to look. The ending is a complete surprise. And I applaud Katie Hayes for that unveiling. I don't want to give a single thing away. Super enjoyable read. Stayed up way too late reading that one. Okay, then I have The Cherry Robbers by Sarai Walker. This is loosely based on the Winchester family, the Rifle family. So this is actually my place of origin, the Winchester family is. Fictionally speaking, this is the Chapel family, and there are six sisters, and they're all named after flowers. Aster, Rosalind, Daphne, Calla, Iris, and Hazel. The cover art is spectacular because it's all of these flowers with a rifle going through it. So the six sisters mother is kind of touched. She's kind of crazy. And she sees, she thinks she sees the ghosts of all of the people who have been killed by the chapel fam, by the chapel rifle. And there's weird gun family history in this. The sisters are basically cursed. It comes out pretty quickly that the book opens with Iris looking back as an 80-year-old on the demise of her family. So you know it's going to happen. You just don't know why or in what order. And so off we go to 1950s Connecticut, where these girls had like three options, you know, but because they're wealthy, their options were a little more exciting, like marry a wealthy man marry or become a teacher or... I mean, that's about it. Yeah. You could become an eccentric old aunt because they had money. Build a big house in California. Yes, you could. And try to make up for the the ghosts of your family's past. That's we're we're referring to the Winchester Mystery House, which is a pretty creepy place actually. Yeah. yeah. It was it was interesting. This did feel very gothic. I I listened to it on audio. Definitely held my interest. There was one point in the middle where most of the sisters were gone at that point and I was kind of like, "Well, what are we what have we got going on?" And then it really digs in to the hmm psychology of the family and what it might be to live in a family whose entire fortune has been based on the wars and death of thousands and thousands of people. So it took me by surprise and it was a really worthwhile listen and I enjoyed it, even though I hate guns. Okay. And then lastly, Tomorrow and Tomorrow yeah! and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. So you liked it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It was not a hard decision to save that one for last. This book is incandescent. I loved it from start to finish. I know why you were so impatient for me to just read it already. And for anybody who is thinking about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and looks at the book flap mention about video game development, don't even like just go find this book and read it. It is really about storytelling and relationships and world building in a in a very real way. And I 
think that these characters are magnificent. And I think that the book has so much to say. And she braided in current events and pop culture and tricky relationships and trauma in a million different ways. And it's so interesting. It is a really complete novel. You were, I think that's how you had characterized it. Brief, brief recap, because it's a gem. Sadie, Sam, and Marks are our three characters. And Sadie and Sam meet as young, like 10-year-olds after in a hospital and Sam has had a trauma and Sadie is there because her sister has a disease. And that is how their friendship begins. And then they lose track of each other intentionally, unintentionally for a while. And then they meet up in Cambridge where one is at Harvard and the other is at MIT. And that really ignites the rest of like the rest of their lives, lives really. I think what's super compelling to me is that this isn't really a love story. It is a story about two people with a really intense connection. And that is just as beautiful and profound as a romance in a lot of ways. And then Mark's is Sam's college roommate and his dynamic into this. I heard an interview with Gabrielle Zevin saying that Marx is the best of everyone she's ever known rolled into one person. And I, it almost makes me cry because the book is so moving. They do embark on this, you know, video game world. And I am not a video. I think the important thing for people to hear from me, because nobody else Everybody will have a different opinion. I'm not a video game person. I have never really played a video game that I can think of, even though I was born in the right time for it. I'm a book kid, basically. The descriptions of these games and how the games relate to their real lives is the most beautiful way to describe something to someone like me and make me want to talk to my kids about video games and understand the beauty that they see in it in a whole different way. I am I was overwhelmed. I w- in an, in the best way possible. I thought it was incredible. I don't know what else to say about that book. There's just so much there. Just go read it. Go read it. It's yeah. so good. And apparently I just heard a review on Downseller Studio. She read that and then she went back and read one of her older books and said it was not maybe not as amazing, but still really quite quite a good read. So, The Storied Life of A.J. F- Fickery or yeah. something? I haven't read that either, but yeah. I think it's on our shelf, so Ooh, I yeah. shall. So. Yeah, incredible. That's it. That's all I got. But that's, that's a, a great way to end. Yes, perfect. Yeah, I'm so glad. Okay, we have to talk about it off, off air, but yeah, I'm really glad you, you got to it. That was a good one. And I think that's it. One month till Stitches West. Yes, where we'll be coming to you, so not really live, but we're going to record up there. Yeah. We'll super. Do the same thing we did last time because that was super fun. And yeah, looking forward to it. Getting ready. Until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. 
Thanks for listening.